are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show podcast here on Westwood One, powered by CRTV, available on iTunes and Stitcher. I want to thank all of you that tune into us each day. If you have already subscribed, hit that button there on your podcasting platform. Thank you. If you've not yet done so, please just take two to three seconds out of your day. Click that subscribe button. The more of you that do that, the more that CRTV becomes convinced to underwrite the cost of this podcast each day so it remains free for all of you. And those of you that have put forth a positive review, thank you very much. If you have a few minutes today and you can do that for us on iTunes and Stitcher, those also help us. The more of those we accumulate also help us to get the word out as well. And you may be like, Steve, I think you guys' show blows. And you're probably right about that. But we, and, and so we wouldn't tell you to lie. So if that's kind of where you're coming from, maybe just you know keep that to yourself, like Mama said. You got nothing nice to say. Don't say anything at all. So don't lie. But if you do dig uh, how we finger roll here on uh, the Steve Day Show podcast, leave us a positive review. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, and we also love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email us. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. All right, gentlemen, we just finished the television show for CRTV. Let's give the audience a taste of what is to come. Aaron. I have found finally found um, my true calling and direction and my rhythm on this show, and it is to basically, when when you guys are trying to fight and trying to continue to stay in the fight, I basically just try to light myself on fire and take you with me. That's my calling. Pretty much, yeah. I'm I am just here to remind you that nothing matters. Yep. Yeah. Hey, you guys want a uh, you, you guys want a Marxist madness scoring update? You bet. Okay. Um, angry. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Angry atheist is in a uh, dead heat with booing God. They're separated by only a few votes. Uh, the Bernie Sanders religious bigot, the number five seed out of the swamp region, is beating just thrashing yep. the number two seed, Tears of Rage Booker. Yep. Well, I thought Cory Booker was going to win that region. I'm going to be wrong. Okay. And in the Holly Weird region, this is surprising. So what you're saying is the number three seed is beating the number four seed, Behead Trump, by quite a good margin. Oh, wow. Man, my bracket's looking good. And Zoe Turr, the number two seed out of the Tolerance region, is beating Trigglypuff, the number one seed, by also probably that is the biggest biggest margin, uh, aside from Bernie Sanders' religious bigot, Zoe Turr, is uh, is really continues to strangle the competition. I had Zoe Turr versus Behead Trump in my bracket in the finals. That would make sense. Yeah, so, so Zoe Turr is looking good. Uh, Behead Trump, not so much. And I get asked about this guy frequently. Um, I know he's become a huge thing. I have nothing against him. I just haven't had time to really dig into his work. I'm like loosely aware of it. You know, I've heard the name Jordan Peterson. Um, But I've had several of you ask me about him. And I know that uh, his star is ascending at the moment. And this, these results, I think, speak to that. You know, sometimes you just have that star player that carries you in, in, in March Madness. 
you know, and that you just it's just on fire. The Shabazz Napier for or Kemba Walker for Connecticut. We've seen them pull that off a couple of times now. And I just think he's the new hotness right now and he's carrying that team to victory because I know there's a lot of people in our audience that uh, that dig the work that he's doing. Yeah, and uh, if you want to vote on this, please do. Go to our Facebook page to search for Steve Dace and scroll down a little ways. You should be able to find it fairly easy. It's surveymonkey.com. All right, Todd, what stood out to you about our television show Well, today? along the lines that Aaron talked about, uh, we, 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 I realized at least, because uh, I, I don't recall reading it in my contract, that when we finally go out, and that we're going to go out in f- literal flames on this show. And then I asked, uh, you know, who, which one of us has to light ourselves on fire first? Well, then we segued into fake news or not. And after watching uh, what I saw there, I nominate myself to light myself on fire first. Cause you're, you're I, willing I, second. I can't take any. <laughs> now, now the fight becomes which one of <laughs> us gets to go first. <laughs> Steve, dear teacher, which one of us will, uh, which one of us will be greatest in the fire? <laughs> you know, not what you ask. Yes. Whoever is first shall be last. Remember that, okay? Uh, no, today's fake news or not doesn't have very much commentary because not much is needed. And what you're going to see are both sides of the argument who are really the same side. They're just arguing over which team colors they prefer, but they're making the exact same arguments. And every bit is ignorant and every bit is uninformed. And every bit is tribalistic and myopic. And it's demoralizing to watch. But it's necessary. And the, and the reason it's necessary is, is we need to be reminded that when you're living in the time of the judges, I think culturally we are in a very similar place right now. Everyone is wise in their own eyes. When you're living in the time of the judges, you, you don't have the, the benefit of my side's morally superior to the other. I had a Twitter exchange with a guy today that said, you know, I'm old enough to remember when Republicans and quote-unquote evangelicals cared about family values. And I'm like, I'm old enough to remember when Democrats and quote-unquote feminists didn't think that the way a president behaved in his private life was relevant. He's like, I completely agree. I said, I mean, that's the problem with today's hypocrisy. You have everybody's a hypocrite now. And every point, every finger you point at one side, there's an, at least one more pointing back at you. All is tribalism. Tribalism is all. And he's like, you're right. I just expected more out of my own tribe. And I said, so did I, which is why I don't have a tribe anymore. So I tapped out. Only way to win the game is not to play. And that's the, that is the era in which we live. I, um, I had this talk with my students yesterday that the reason Christ warns us, doesn't have to warn us about staying away from wolves. Why, why doesn't Jesus have to warn us about staying away from wolves, do you think, guys? Because that's fairly obvious. It's instinct. It's our instinct, right? We, 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 recognize, a, we recognize a predator when he, she, or it presents itself honestly. Right, And so the God-given survival instinct inside each and every one of us kicks in when we see those eyes, when we see those fangs, those teeth, those claws, when we see the drool, the foam at the mouth of a hungry animal. 
and the means by which to rip the flesh off our bones, survival instinct kicks in. We know. Lock and load or run for the hills, right? We know that. But the wolf in in sheep's clothing is far more dangerous because it will look appealing. It'll look innocent. And what we have happening right now in many places in our culture is we don't have people struggling with sin. The writer of Hebrews talks about the sin which so easily ensnares us. Whatever that pet sin we have, right? And maybe for some of us, we had several of them. And over the course of time in our walk with the Lord, we, we, we finally let go of a few of those or he, he pried them painfully from us. And then there, but, but then there's the next one. We're like, I, I like that one. I don't want to let it go. And then eventually he pries it away. And then there's that one, though, that we will put the iron grip of death on. And we will be like, Lord, everything else you can have, but I, this one, I need that one. And it could be that experience, that pleasure, that hatred, that grudge, that one. And we all, to some degree, have that, which is why I don't have to... I think one of the most brilliant... Subtle brilliance, subtle examples of brilliance you see in the scriptures is when Paul talks about wrestling with the thorn in his flesh. And he never reveals what the thorn is. There's lots of theories. He had a temper. Was he angry? Was it a physical ailment? There's been, there's some tradition or history about, uh, you know, Paul having a stigmatism or, or another injury issue. Could it be even more simple than that? Could it be a single man traveling a pagan empire faced with all kinds of temptations, particularly when you're there and you're alone? We don't know. And you know what? It's brilliant that we don't know. Because if Paul had revealed what the thorn in his flesh was, those of us that are not similarly afflicted will be like, well, that's not my problem. But because we never really know what the particular thorn in, that, in Paul's flesh is, that sin that so easily ensnares him, to put it in another way, we now can all identify with his predicament. That's the human condition. That's even the human condition for the, for the faithful believer. We're beyond that in our day and age. In our day and age, we are proud of our idols. Most of us, most of us have enough, have enough sense, prudence, remorse over the sin that so easily ensnares us, we hide it. And we only let it out when we are being transparent and honest with, I struggle with blank. But in the day and age in which we live, we love our chocolate bunnies. And we will debate that my chocolate bunny is certainly more chocolatey goodness than yours. And you are going to see that today in fake news or not. You are going to see that all will marvel at the beast. What, is, what does all mean in the original Greek? Guys, you know what all means? Some. Uh, no. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, people that don't agree with me politically. Uh, no, it means all. All means all. All will marvel. All will marvel at it. And you will see in today's fake news or not, will you not, gentlemen, that all will marvel at it. 
should have a visceral reaction after watching three seconds of put, fake news or not. Put away sharp objects. Again, nobody sells this like we do. I, I thought... <laughs> in, in a month, we're going to be coming on this podcast and saying, hey... We're in some trouble here. <laughs> what, did, what did John Miller, our, who joined the roundtable from CRTV, say? Make it's more depressing every time I come on here. <laughs> oh, I thought I thought yesterday we were at peak sales pitchy, but I think we just we sold some ice to Eskimos right here the last few minutes, gentlemen. So <laughs> now is a good time to remind you if you're not yet a subscriber to CRTV, promo code Dace. D-E-A-C-E is how you can get your discounted subscription in my name that won't just give you access to our show, but to all the other shows that are far more fun, informative, and enjoyable to watch. From the great one Mark Levin, Michelle Malk, and everything else right on down. Promo code DACE exclusively here at CRTV.com. All right, let's continue with our acknowledgement this week on the podcast of Holy Week. And we're, we're doing all the normal podcasts we do. We're just going to do them all from the perspective of Holy Week. So last week or yesterday, we did our typical Monday news and view, weekend news and views. But we did it from the perspective of what would Jesus say about these headlines? Today, we're still going to do Pop Culture Tuesday. But we're going to do it from the vantage point of the question that kicks off, I think, one of the, one of the most powerful messages and sermons Jesus ever gave. And so he looks at the apostle Peter and he says, who do the people say that I am? And pop culture is the city gate in our day and age. You know, in the ancient world, the city gate is where it's where the, it's where the shiny, happy people, the cool people hung out. It's where business was done. It's where minds were made up. Opinions were shaped. Pop culture is that place today used to be in past eras in America, it was the dinner table. Maybe it was the classroom. You know, the old Abraham Lincoln line, whoever controls the classroom in this generation will run the government in the next one. Maybe it was the halls of Congress or the Oval Office. And way, by, way bygone eras of Americana, it was the pulpit. But today, in our age, anybody want to disagree with me? The city gate is pop culture. That's the most influential platform in America today. Do we all agree on that? Agree. All right. So let's take a look at popular culture and pose the question Jesus poses to Peter. Looking at the most influential sector of our culture today, whom do the people say that I am? What do we know about what pop culture answers that question, Todd? Well, I want to ask you, uh, and Aaron, can I get a clock on the remainder of the show just so I can be yeah. clear on the pacing of all this? And yep. Aaron, I, I, you like being put on the spot. I like putting you on the spot and see how the wheels turn. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna be when I ask this question, I am going to be speaking very loosely in persona Christi. I'm going to use the form I when I when I say this. Just uh, note, uh, it's not because I've got a god complex, which I kind of do. Uh, Remember, your cologne is smug. Yes. Yes. Um, and I'm j- I, I just want you to take uh, these on uh, one by one. And um, all these could probably be answered very generally. 
Um, so I get as specific as possible. Sometimes I'm going to ask you about a person. Sometimes I'm going to ask you about a thing. Sometimes I'm going to be ask you, asking you about uh, a phrase. Okay. So uh, for starters, what, who, what does love is love say that I am? That you're essentially that that Jesus is either not real or is a Jesus of my own devising. Uh, you know, some happy-go-lucky shaman of the first century, tiptoeing between the tulips of Galilee, dispensing tritisms, feel-goodisms. Uh, essentially a, a cross between uh, Oprah and Ellen DeGeneres. And that I am the way, the truth, and the life is more like you be you. How is love is love different from the greatest of these is love? Well, we have to define what love is. Right, that's what... You know, God is love, but love is not God. That's an important distinction. God is love, but love is not God, meaning God is love. So therefore, whom determines what love means? God. When you make love out to be your God, then you are determining what love means and then saying that's what God therefore is, which means you think you're God. You're the one making these determinations. So the same God who says in his word, the greatest of these is love, that, that after all things have been wiped away, only three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, all right? The same God who says by his spirit those words also says to the Israelites, these pagan people are going to be vanquished and evicted from this land I'm giving to you. You are my urban renewal program. Wipe them all out to the last crop. Leave nothing behind. And in our human minds, we have a hard time reconciling this because we think in a binary way. And so we tend to go from one extreme to the other. That God is only the God that said that to the Israelites. Or God never said that to the Israelites. So we have to realize that it's God's definition of love. A lot of people, I've heard a lot of pastors say love is an action verb. Love is not a verb. Love is a motivation. Let me say that again. Love is not a verb, nor is it a sentiment as the, as the progressive spirit of the age teaches. Love is a motivation. God's motivation for dying for your sins this week, 2,000 years ago, was love. And Jesus' motivation for pointing out your sins and your hypocrisies before he died for your sins was the same motivation, love. God's motivation in elevating the Israelites to a place of global nationalistic prominence, to to be the light to other nations, was love. And his motivation and taking his belt off and had a buckle on it that said Nebuchadnezzar and spanking him with it was love too. We have to we have to submit to whom God says he is and has 
has modeled himself to be, not whom we prefer him to be or fantasize or desire that he is instead. That's a good start. Who does Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A think I am? <laughs> um, and again, this, this question is, you know, Christian believers, you could specifically from a business perspective how how does that living out that aspect of your faith carry through in that somebody to recognize as the source of my skill ability blessing prosperity etc and i i set aside some of that blessing to both bless the blesser and um uh, my neighbor in how I behave, whether it's I'm not open on Sundays in the case of Chick-fil-A, whether it's the minimum wage for my full-time employees is $15 an hour at Hobby Lobby. Uh, these, are, the, these are recognitions. They don't have to pay that. Um, the, these are recognitions of what the source of my, my abundance is. And therefore, to whom much is given, much is required. And I'm going to use the platform and abundance that God has given me to testify to him being the source, to give him glory for that abundance. And then I'm going to share that um, compassionately and generously by loving my neighbor as I love myself. I'm going to pay somebody not a minimum wage. I'm going to pay them a living wage. Dare I say a vocation of sorts is being lived out there? Sure. Well, now we're getting all reformational up in here. But yeah, if you want to, if if the Catholic is asking me if I believe in the priesthood of every believer, I yeah, yeah. They are they are living out a vocational aspect of their faith. You bet. They are behaving as priests. Sure. This is along the lines of what we normally talk about uh, on uh, Tuesdays. Who uh, do the makers and the films themselves? Noah. Exodus, Gods and Kings, Mother, who was made by Darren Aronofsky, who also did Noah, mm-hmm. and is a, air quotes, religious allegory, and Wrinkle in Time. Who do they say that I am? Either that you don't exist in Aronofsky's case. He's a uh, virulent uh, militant atheist. Then why make the movies at all? By his own definition. Uh, to troll and to, pa- and, and to uh, parody people that you think um, believe in a lunacy. People that you think uh, believe in a fairy tale and one that is inhibiting your your quest for self-actualization. Your, your, your projection of what a healthy, enlightened society should look at, look like. And you think this is the idea system, this is the worldview that is stopping that from being realized. And so you are using your vehicle of popular culture in order to, to, to pillory it, to parody it. In the case of the woman whose name escapes me who directed A Wrinkle in Time, um, she's not a religious. She's a pagan by her own admission. You know, she claims we've evolved beyond Christianity, so she wants to devolve us back to, you know, the Druidic, pagan, Celtic, occultism that Christianity vanquished 
primarily through the Catholic Church, by the way, many, many, many centuries ago. You know, so today's progressives are often yesterday's regressives, essentially. They're, we're all coming back again to what we, you know, we in the West already rejected many centuries ago. So she's not irreligious. Uh, she just believes in an alternative religious system. Um, she wants, she believes, she's practicing of, of, of a form of reconstructionism, which is a tactic of postmodernism and progressivism. Where you were, and and so is Aronofsky. By the way, I mean Aronofsky is practicing reconstructionism, reconstructionism as well, and this is the idea of reconstructing previously accepted truths within a culture, in order to deconstruct those truths, so that the culture will then be essentially numbed, softened up to accept whatever new truth I prefer them to believe instead. What does sex say I am? Do we mean this in terms of a gender distinction uh, well, or yeah, in terms no. of, a, of an activity? Uh, I was alluding to the activity. Okay. Well, the same God that counted all the hairs on your head also uh, created the clitoris, also created that nexus of nerves at the, at the bottom or at the t- tip base of the penis that's extremely sensitive that both of those are, though both of those are entities of, or, or though both of those are parts of our anatomy that serve no other function, other than sexual gratification and stimulation. So, this idea that sex is a perfunctionary, um, a, a perfunctionary task, uh, is maybe prudish maybe moralistic, maybe Victorian. It is not Christian. Um, it's not scriptural. It's not biblical. Is, sex, is sex's primary task procreation? Well, yeah. But primary is not the same as only. Right? So does that mean when a woman's gone through menopause and kids know, can know her eggs are no longer there or able to get pregnant or a man's sperm count uh, is low and he can't have children, that it, him and his, by that definition, him and his wife would be sinning by continuing to have sex. Sex is not, sex's primary function is procreation. It is not its sole function. And I think an argument could be made that sex's primary biological function is procreation. Its primary spiritual function is oneness. You know, um, the the most one of the most cherished prayers of ancient Judaism is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. I believe the same Hebrew word Moses uses for one there in the prayer of Shema is the same word Hebrew word for one he uses in Genesis when he says, and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two will become one. Meaning there is something cosmic happening here. Uh, you're, you're having a, a union of souls is taking place. This is why, why do you think we struggle as a species to separate sexual pleasure from emotional intimacy? Why do you think we struggle with this? Because they're not really meant to be separated. Right? I mean, guys, in fact, let me address this to the women. Why do you, wives, why do you seem to get along better with him 
when you have a sexual gratification, gratifying relationship? Why, why do his quirks, his idiosyncrasies that might annoy you in an average context, why, do they, why are they just not quite as annoying at those moments? And the same is true of the husbands. Why? Because there's an emotional intimacy that goes along with that level of vulnerability, pleasure, gratification, etc. So I think we have done a tremendous disservice in the church by playing into the enemy's game of separating the, the functionality of sex with the sensuality of it. And I think we have fallen for a false binary choice when they are one in the same. I mean, we have always told our kids, now they're all of age to know the birds and the bees. Any question they ask me or mom about sex, whenever they are old enough to ask, they are old enough to get the answer. Uh, we do not hide whatsoever from the fact sex is absolutely incredible. You may think if you're a virgin, you may think it's awesome. I promise you it's more awesome than you even think it is. Okay? So I think we're, we, have, we, have, we, have, we, have, we have ceded all the ground of pleasure to the enemy. And he has left us with only its primary function. And by ceding all the pleasurable ground to the enemy, we've now given away the intimacy aspect of it as well. And so I think with sex, I think I needed to outline that before I get to the bottom line answer. Sex says to me that God is pretty cool, dude. That's what it says to me. I mean, he could have, <laughs> we could be like salmon. We could swim upstream, spawn, see you next year if we make it that far. But we're, sex, is the, sex is the best evidence we are made in God's image, in my opinion. Because we're the only creatures in this creation who have this level of vulnerability, intimacy, and emotion tied to, the reprodu- to our reproductive systems. And I think that's a sign that there's something more happening here. There's, there, there's more intended to happen here. And I think it's also why we've had a very difficult time over the years, whether it's either through licentiousness or um, prudishness. We have, as a, we have, as the church, fallen in traps where sexuality is concerned many, many times because we struggle with balance, balancing these things. Good answer. Who does Tim Tebow say that I am? <laughs> um, I think you look at the way from the best we know, and I, let's, I started off this conversation talking about the sin that so easily ensnares us. I promise you, I promise you, if we look through every text, every email, every Google search, Every, if, we, if we could go back and watch every phone conversation, capture every thought, we would find, even for Tim Tebow, there is a sin that so easily ensnares him as well. He is just a guy named Tim. Setting that part aside, though, I think what we know of his life answers that question for us. Um, somebody to be loved, to be proclaimed, um, to model that love to others to serve others. Um, 
you there's something powerful our church took part in his night to takes part in his night to shine there is something just incredibly powerful about a guy i'm comfortable enough in my masculinity that's a good looking dude man let's just keep it real all right like if i was a chick on a scale of one to ten he'd be like a 17.5 all right there's just something very powerful about a guy who looks like he's right out of central casting he looks like captain america and here he is and it's not contrived it's not forced it's not a photo op he just absolutely adores a segment of our society that washington post columnists are writing about we should be able to kill these people before they're ever born because they're such an inconvenience for the rest of us that that's one of the most powerful modeling of Christ modelings of Christ likeness in all of popular culture. I think. How, really quickly, how does uh, it, all that being said, how does his taking a knee and doing it nonetheless, despite the scorn he get for it, comp- compared or is juxtaposed to uh, Colin Kaepernick's taking a knee? One is an, is a sense of reverence. The other is, look at me. Now, let me say this, though. There's a time and a place when you, if, if you really have a point to make, to, to face injustice, that that look at me taking a knee has a time and a place. I'm not opposed to that. What's one of the arguments I've often given about the whole knee protest culture? What do you want, right? Mm-hmm. So the same people that want to take a knee then say, when my team wins the Super Bowl, I'm not going to go to the White House and have an audience with the President of the United States. Help me to understand this. So you don't want to make a difference then? I mean, that is the President of the United States putting himself in a pretty vulnerable position right, right there in a photo op like that. If you wanted to lay down, if you wanted to call him to account for some things, that'd be one heck of a moment to do it right to his face. So you want to take a knee to a football game, but then you don't want an audience with someone who could actually, who's actually empowered to follow up on the things you claim you want. That shows me this is about attention. Or you, have a mis, you, you, you are naive in that you don't un- understand really how to enact the change that you want. You haven't thought it through. Both are a sign of immaturity. What's the goal? What do you want? What, what do you want the NFL to do? What cause do you want them to donate to? So, I mean, don't, understand that when you say, I, I'm going to take a knee, but I don't want to have an audience. Like, for example, if someone, if someone took a knee over abortion, would we have a problem with it? Generally speaking, no. Generally speaking. You know, um, we might also, if, if, if the public was just as alienated by doing that during the national anthem, we would probably explain to them, well, you're doing it during the national anthem. I mean, maybe the best thing to do, use your platform as an NFL player. Fox News will give right. you time to go on anytime you want. You can be on every show on Fox tonight if you want. You want to blast President Obama for funding Planned Parenthood. Fox will put you on from 8, from 8 Eastern to the entire primetime block, you know. But maybe that's not the moment to do it because that's that's a time and a place of sort of unity recognition of who we are as a people but 
I, the same thing applies in this case. What's the end game? What do you want? Well, I want an end to injustice. Okay. The president of the United States is the chief executive officer of the United States. Meaning he is the chief executor. He's the chief enforcer, executor of the laws of this nation. You want laws to change, but you don't want an audience with the guy who has more, more power than anybody else to change them? I mean, I don't know. Do you just want to be on the 6 p.m. sports center? Tonight? I mean, what's your end game? What's your goal? And Tim Tebow's end game is just look Simple at God. reference. Just look at that's God. That's the only end game. Simple reference. Yeah. That's it. That's all. All right, I've got three more I really want to get in. And I'll do these rapid fire. Okay. Who does, quote, the Bible doesn't say anything about, end quote, say that I am? Well, if, if, the, if the Bible doesn't say anything about a pet sin I want to do or validate, what it tells me is you've never actually read the Bible. That's who, that's, you don't, you don't, you don't know the word of God. You're going off of cliches and maybe you Googled something once. Who does the Ken Ham Bill Nye debate say that I am? Bill Nye would say that you aren't. Was that a science debate? Was that a theology debate? It was a philosophy debate because that's what mostly passes for science in this day and age. Bill Nye would say that you aren't, and Ken Ham, whether you agree with all of his theological conclusions or not. Would, would clearly say that you are. And that, that, that's the uh, old James Dobson line, one of the best observations I've ever heard, that there's only two worldviews in this world today. God is and God ain't. Quick corollary that then, who does science say that I am? Um, again, that you aren't. What science says is, is, ye be like God. I will be like the Most High. That's what science, that's what that says. Science says it's God. And lastly, and I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on this, and I don't know if you're going to be able to do this quickly. We're talking about uh, the Odyssey. Who does mental illness slash cancer slash tragic accidents say that I am? This is a classic popular culture. What kind of God would? Who does what kind of God would say that I am? It says that you're a God that when you watched your children wreck themselves, didn't stand by, didn't grab a magnifying glass like a kid with an anthill, didn't wash your hands of the matter, but instead directly got involved in our affairs to make all things new. And that's, that's what Holy Week is about. That's why we're doing this. That, that's, that's why Easter has survived. Resurrection Sunday has survived. Good Friday has survived for 2,000 years. Because they are the ultimate recognition that all things work together for the glory of God and for those called according to his purposes. That God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that through him the world may be saved. Those things you mentioned say more about who we are. Your response to them, God, tells us who you are.
that you are not passive, that you are not lazy, you are not disinterested, um, that you are not absent. But to the point of leaving paradise behind, to be born like any other child, to need to be changed like any other child, to need to be fed like any other child, to need to be taught, potty trained like any other child, to need to sleep like any other person, to be hungry like any other person, to be dirty like any other person, to sweat like any other person, to have to relieve yourself like any other person. It should blow our minds, the most powerful being in the universe, lowered himself to be with us by being one of us in order to save us. The fact that God looks at those things you just mentioned and this was his response, I think I think that speaks powerfully to his character. And I think people that want to blame him for those other things are the same people that say, I want the freedom to do what I want to do. And then when the consequences for those things show up, I want to be able to blame the God I demanded my freedom from. You can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. It's one or the other. And the only reason you have another, the only reason you have another option is because God take, took the initiative to give you one. Even at the cost of his own son. Who can stand against that? Who would dare stand against that? The world cannot. That's always why tyrants and despots want to be rid of the word of God right away. Because it's a reminder of who they are and who they aren't. They're not God. They're not the ultimate authority. And I know we live in a day and age where there's a lot of different religious theories and systems, and many of them have virtues and values that are worth emulating. Only one of them offers you an empty tomb. If the tomb is not empty, then at best, we're life coaches. At worst, we're frauds. If the tomb is empty, that's everybody else. It's that simple. But it's not easy. Final thoughts, Todd and Aaron. Aaron, I'll start with you. Culture, our world, our neighbors... Our co-workers, everybody seemingly has a different definition for who Jesus is, yet at, at the core of it, it is that question, and you could couple it with the question about human nature, but it is that question that will basically be a Pandora's box for whatever else that person believes. You can, mark, you can mark my words about that. And if you're listening and you're wondering, well, who really is Jesus? Still, you don't have to keep wondering. 
There's this best-selling book um, that's got a bunch of different translations. I like the ESV. Uh, if you're just wanting to get the message, you can use you can use a different uh, translation than that as well. But at the end of the day, it's our faith, the, the one that all three of us, it's simple enough for a child to understand, yet complex enough that theologians are still writing books about it every single week. And you can know this person as well, who we call our Savior. You can know who he says he is. You can, you can truly know him if you just read his book. That that would be the, the that would be my final thought. Don't don't necessarily listen to what other people to who, who other people say that Jesus is, and at the same time, don't make him into somebody that he's not. Figure out for yourself. We have to uh, live in the world, but be, uh, must not be of the world, and that pretty much sums up how we must uh, wrestle with pop culture. Uh, it is, in many respects, one of the most robust uh, religious venues of the age, and despite what people say, uh, you know, don't talk about religion and politics and play company. Well, the, people are always talking about religion and politics. Uh, it's just, uh, it's under, uh, talk about wolves and sheep's clothing. I mean, it depends on what guys they're in. So they're, they're setting rules that they're not willing to live by, uh, so you shouldn't live by them either. Either Use pop culture to talk about the name of Jesus all the time and Jesus has given us many ways to do so the, one of the reasons he talks in parables he's like dude you know you don't have to be ham-handed you don't need to give me a bible tract all the time or, or, or offer your testimony I mean there are ways that he has shown you to get to the the exact zenith of truth and we need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves to discern how to navigate that. It, it's um, that is, that is challenging, but so are we challenged, and so we must. Well, let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Thanks for tuning in here today on Westwood One via iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to subscribe. Leave us a review if you have the time. Also, don't forget CRTV.com, promo code DACE if you want to watch our show here today on CRTV and all the shows we produce at CRTV each and every day. Until tomorrow, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you.